welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast, the Code of Ethical Conduct for Agile Coaching Series. I am your host, Renee Craven, and today's episode features Sarah Scold and Alex Lowley. Sarah has spent most of her career in human resources and learning and development, and she came across Agile as a philosophy and a way of working, and she loved it. She jumped ship and moved into a customer experience team working in Agile philosophy and has now become a Scrum Master herself. Alex is an avid member of the Agile community and published his book, The Agile Community, in 2022. He speaks regularly on the global stage and is an organiser of conferences. He specialises in Agile training, coaching and transformations. Alex is the shepherd of the Global Agile Coaching Retreat Advisor Team and the co-chair of the Agile Alliance Agile Coaching Ethics Initiative Team. In this episode, I chat to Sarah and Alex, both well-known Agile coaches and contributors to the Code of Ethical Conduct for Agile Coaching. Sarah and Alex have a shared purpose of upholding the Code of Ethics and creating awareness of it in the Agile community worldwide. This is the first episode that we recorded in the Ethics series, and Alex and Sarah were pivotal in shaping the series and the future episodes in the series. In true Agile style, we gathered feedback and adapted, so the recording of future episodes were a lot smoother for the guests. I'd like to thank Sarah and Alex for their help in this. During this conversation, I found myself reflecting back on scenarios that I've been a part of and how I might have acted differently if I'd had the code of ethics to guide me. Thanks for tuning in to the Women in Agile podcast. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Alex and Sarah. Alex and Sarah, thank you for joining me today. Good to be here. Thank you for having us. So today we're talking about the section of the code, uh, which is called Acting Within My Ability. Did you both want to share why you why this section of the code became part of the code over other sections that might have been? You know, uh, Sarah, when we were having those original conversations with the team, uh, I mean, we were in the very beginning, right? We were talking about, like, what sections we should have in the code in the first place. Do you recall what those conversations about this were, Sarah? Yeah. For, for me, it was, um, it's, I guess, from past experience, I felt like it was important to highlight um, the fact that, you know, you might not know everything and you do, you're not expected mm. to be able to to help in every situation. Um, having come from a role where I was uh, doing a lot of um, coordination of coaching and um, uh, matching coaches with coachees, um, and, and I suppose to some degree kind of, uh, uh, you know, trying to understand which coaches would be able to offer the most um, to the organisation, I did find that I, I came across a lot of people who promised a lot. Um, and if you kind of dug underneath that and um, and really asked them about their experience in, in you know, certain aspects, um, they perhaps didn't have as much as, as I would have liked them to have if I was going to put them in front of, you know, the, the person that I was planning to, to be coached. Um, and so, you know, I think like, I've actually just been doing some some work on growth mindset and fixed mindset um, as, you know, part of a, um, the uh, agile mindset. And I think that, you know, it's important to feel like you can always learn and grow, but, um, and that you may be able to coach in that area in the future. Um, but this was more about kind of making sure that you were just highlighting and making your client aware of what you really have had experience in in the past. 
uh, I think we kind of came to the realization that it was important I suppose, because of the lack of regulation around um, agile coaching and, and anyone really being able to stick their the, the term agile coach on their CV. Um, and so we felt like it was important to, to kind of sign up to something and say, you know, I promise that I won't go out there and say that I have skills. Yeah, I would I agree. Have. I mean, it, mm. some of the stuff we talked about was like maybe a coach would say, sure, I can do this thing because they want to keep their client happy. Or maybe because they think it's not a big deal and they'll be able to figure it out on the fly. And so that they'll say, sure, I know all about that. Or they've heard about it or read about it, but never really done it. And they don't make that distinction. Or maybe they want to make a sale, right? They're trying to get into a client. I think there's a variety of causes, but I think Sarah's on the money in terms of like what our discussions were when we were creating the code. Yeah. And I think there was also, an, I guess, a medical element to it as well, um, because some of the conversations that you can end up in as a coach are, you know, potentially leading down a path where you really do need a medical professional to be able to support that person. Um, and I've had some pretty robust conversations with a friend of mine who's a psychologist um, and, you know, the amount of training and, uh, you know, university studies that she has had to go through to become a psychologist Um I think, you know, there's, there's an element of, you know, why is it that you can go off and have these similar types of conversations and are you sure you're giving the right kind of advice? Um, so that was another element that we were discussing, kind of where does that medical lens come in and, mm. you know, you've got to really be careful that you're not stepping over that line. Mm. Interesting. Okay, let me read through the sections or the, the dot points within this section. Um and we'll talk a little bit through what each one of them mean. Um, so the first one, I will be open and transparent about my skills, experience and qualifications. The next one is I will be clear with my client and stakeholders if they make a request beyond my capabilities. And the last one, I will be open with the client if I believe they need another form of professional help. So the first one there, I'll be open and transparent about my skills, experience and qualifications. What's some of the thinking behind including this one in this section? Um, well, I think that speaks to what I was discussing before around, um, you know, when you're in a conversation to um, in with the purpose of sort of explaining what you can do to help, um, it's... We, we had noted and, and seen some situations where people were potentially using things that they had in theory, like they'd, they'd studied, but not necessarily practically tried to implement or been part of an implementation using mm. that skill. Um, mm. And I think there's a big difference in, you know, having just read about something or listened to a podcast or even done a university degree versus actually having practical experience in using that system mm. or tool. Um, I think in in to be really specific, it was it was sometimes correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, but I think it was in regards to particular methodologies of agile or um, you know like tools that you might say to the organisation. I think we should try this tool, um, and it was kind of like some in some cases you might be suggesting a tool that you're familiar with just because that's the thing that you're familiar with and not necessarily because it was the right thing for the organization. I do remember 
that we had a ton of conversation when we were creating these uh, this code of conduct, right, Sarah? I mean, we we had a very large group of diverse people, and um, we had some great conversations. And the reason we did that is because we wanted to bring in diverse perspectives. And so some of the stories we heard, Sarah, were just like incredible. And as we're chatting about it here today, I'm starting to like reminisce about some of the stories I heard. But um, when I think about this particular bullet point, I can recall some of the conversations about um, people observing somebody in the industry, in the world, real world, who maybe worked at some kind of consultancy and they had worked with someone who, who'd done something, right? And they kind of assumed the mantle of knowledge or experience of that other person when they went into a client. So for example, hey, there's someone on my team at this consultancy who's done, who's done lean portfolio management. And they, they told me one day in a coffee chat about it. So now I can go to the client and do lean portfolio management after a 30 minute conversation. And I present myself to the client as an expert in that. But really, my only experience is a 30-minute coffee chat about it with someone else at work, right? So it was conversations like that that were occurring in the team. And as we were crafting this code of conduct, it, whatever, what you see in the code of conduct was all based on actual things we'd all had experienced and seen and heard. And every single bullet point, including that one in the code, is a response to what we'd seen and heard in the real world. And I have to say, even to this day, I still see very regularly people um, on, you know, tools like uh, LinkedIn, where every day someone's got, and, and sometimes it's the same person who seems to be adding a certification to their um, repertoire <laughs> every week, um, or maybe even twice a week. And you just go, oh my God, how are they? Where did, A, where do they get the time to do all of this training? Um, and B, how are they applying those skills? Because it's one thing, as we all know, to go on a training course, but it's something completely different to then practice what you learn in an organisation. Do you see the, co the code rectifying that at some point? I think that would be a great long-term goal um, and, and I, I hope that it does at least um, cause some questions and people to think about things in a slightly different way as they um, put their skills out there. I think the other thing that we really wanted to provide was this is not to kind of say, oh, no, you're not an agile coach and, you know, you haven't ticked every single box. Um, this is more about giving at people who are working in this space a tool to be able to go to their clients and say, hey, look, this is part of my my co code of ethics that I've signed up to is that I need to tell you mm. what my real skills and experience are in this space. Um, and, you know, I'm willing to learn this tool and I think this might be the, my, the best tool for this organisation to use. I can bring in this outsider or, you know, I'm having some real mental health conversations with this person. I really think that we should, um, you know, escalate this to someone else. It's more about kind of giving them a permission to, to have that conversation with mm -hmm. their customers and say, I'm not comfortable. Because I think a lot of us, especially, you know, with that agile growth mindset, 
in place, we want to be able to do things. We're, you know, keen mm. to learn. We're keen to progress. We're keen to have experience in things that we might have not had experience in before. We're not, you know, like kind of rule-oriented rule necessarily. So we're doing it with good intentions. Um, but I think it's just all about kind of transparency and making sure that people know what they're paying for really at the end of the day, that your mm. customers know what they're paying for. Mm. Well, I, to that, Alex? I, I don't know if I told you this story, Sarah, but maybe I did. I don't know. But I, I, recently I encountered a uh, ethical dilemma at a client and I was like, oh, this is challenging. Uh, the challenging ethical dilemmas are the, are the ones that to you personally are kind of grayish, right? Uh, I'd like to say that the ones that are easier, obvious, but, you know, maybe sometimes they're not so obvious. But in any case... I was struggling personally and I was like, what do I do? And then I was like, oh yeah, I'm the co-chair of the team that created the code of conduct. I should go look at the code of conduct. So I actually, I, I actually went and I looked up <laughs> and I scanned it and I said, aha, that's me right there right now. And then I read what we had written and I was like, now I know what to do. So even myself, I look at the code of conduct on a regular basis when I'm encountering challenging situations and use it as like a guide. And I would love it for, for it to be like that for every Agile coach in the world. And I think it starts primarily with awareness. And I, I thank you for the podcast because I think that's the awareness part. And then in terms of like classes and trainings and certifications, there is a slowly expanding group of professional coaching trainers who are actually including this code of conduct in their training. So you're actually not only uh, using it within the training itself as a code of conduct, but you're also learning about it and how to apply it in the real world with your own clients. So I think that's encouraging when I see it slowly starting to spread and it's spreading right here, right now on this podcast to whoever's listening. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> well, one of the words that I wanted to drill into a little bit more um, is the word experience. How does one gauge or assess their own experience before they can go, oh, no, I'm, I know what I'm doing there. I can do yes. I can say yes to that. Or uh, mm, the code says no, so no. So it kind of might hold that person back. So how do you measure your own level of experience? That is a very good question. And I think if you read the code really specifically, it's not um, that the sentence is, I will be open and transparent about my skills, experience and qualifications. So we're not saying that that you should go to a client and say, oh, no, I don't have enough experience in this, or I definitely have enough experience in this. It's just about being open and about sharing this is what I've done with this in the past. Is that enough for you? Does that give you comfort? I think mm. uh, personal assessment of your own skills is a regular thing that all Agile coaches, um, it'd be great for them to invest in. I think if you're interested in becoming a master of Agile coachery, if I can say that, then definitely you should be regularly assessing your own skill set. So, for example, the, uh, the Agile coaching growth wheel, for example, is one way you can assess yourself. 
in, in uh, the Scrum Alliance, another example, there's the uh, Scrum Master and Product Owner Self-Assessment Tool. So I think if you're an experienced coach interested in expanding and developing yourself, you're not only doing that in a personal basis, but there's tools out there to do it as well. But ultimately, it's always subjective, right? So if you're in a situation where you're like, ugh, mm. maybe I don't know as much as I think I do, then at least bring it up, have that conversation. I think that's what you're getting to, Sarah, is this whole transparency. It doesn't mean you're like being dishonest or doesn't mean you're like misrepresenting yourself, but at least have the conversation. Yeah, exactly. There is another um, aspect of the code, which is around introspection and continuing professional development. So I think these two are pretty tightly coupled and I think you'll cover that a bit more in that episode mm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. That's the second dot point. I will be clear with my client stakeholders if they make a request beyond my capabilities. So we've already kind of covered a little bit of um, that. Do you have any examples of where maybe you've done this before yourself or you've witnessed it um, or you've kind of wished a coach had done that themselves. So you got any stories you can share? Well, so Sarah's gesturing at me in the video, so I'll I'll take this one. <laughs> <laughs> Alex has the best stories. I think I think the best stories that we told were things that had happened to us. Uh, personally, and th it was a large group of people that was creating this code of conduct. I mean, I think I counted it up, Sarah, and there were like 35, 40, 45 people. I don't know. It just kept on growing, and it was a large group of people and all over the world, and the stories were incredible. So in terms of like my own stories, I think the story I would tell is a story about myself, and that story is where I'm at a client and I said I could do something based on what's known as the royal we. So if you're not familiar with the royal we, the royal we is the concept that when you work with a group of people, what they know you know at the client. Uh, and the way it works is when you have a group of consultants, if one consultant does something at a client, they come back and they tell the whole group of consultants what they did at the client. You know, kind of like a, like a debrief or like a, a lunch and learn or something like that. And then everybody else in that small group of consultants says, now we know how to do it because one of us did it. Now we can go to our clients and replicate the same exact thing. And I actually did the same thing myself. Now, the outcome for me, I think, was okay. But to this day, I can still remember for that moment in time thinking about the royal weed. At the time, it seemed fine. Now that I'm a more experienced coach, I'm this is like 10 years ago, by the way. Now I look back on it through my more, I hope, more mature lens. I don't know if I've gotten mature or not. But now I can look back at the royal we and I'm like, hmm. you wise. Was that really ethical of me? Not, well, I'm not 100% sure that, I didn't have terrible outcomes, but now I can look back on that and use that lens to say, I, I probably wouldn't do that again in the future. 
and, and that's my that's my story. The royal we. I think a lot of the stories that we heard, um, now that I'm thinking back on them, were about you're embedded in an organisation, you know the organisation in inside and outside, they've got a good relationship with you, they trust you. So there's an element of that which is super valuable, even if you don't know the, t- I don't know, specific tool it is or the methodology that they've decided they want to implement. Um, so, you know, say... I don't know, value stream mapping as a as an example, Alex, that we've been talking about recently. Like if I'm working with a team, they trust me, they, um, you know, they want to continue working with me, they're bought in, it's all great. And they say, but hey, we want to do this value stream mapping thing. Have you ever done that before? That's a good example where I would go, well, no, I haven't ever done it before. Keen to learn. I think it would be a really good tool for us to use. Let me go and do a little bit of research. I'll see what I can find out but I'm being really transparent about the fact that I've never done it before or I've done it once or something like that. Um, and I think, you know, that that's fine. Like there's going to be a lot of situations and there are so many different tools in Agile that you can't possibly have had experience in every single one. Um, but again, it's about the client or the person who's, who's making the decision, having the right information to be able to say, well, I'm going to weigh up the pros and cons of this. Sarah has a great relationship with the team. The team's already bought into what she's saying. I don't have to restart that whole trust building process. She's already onboarded to our systems, all that kind of stuff. Um, but the con is she hasn't worked in this tool before. So how can I mitigate that? Like maybe I need to do a little bit more research or maybe I need to bring in someone else to, you know, have one session on it and then she can take it from there. I think for me that that was a very clear theme in a lot of the conversations that we had were, you know, you're the agile coach in an organisation, you've got a great relationship and then they kind of, the organisation themselves expects that you'll be able to provide and provide more and more and more and more skill and more and more and more information. Um, And it's just about making sure that they know what they're getting. Mm. Because, you know, Agile coaches are not cheap. (laughs) Is that PC? Am I allowed to say that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, like even in, in my um, experience with executive coaches, it was a very similar thing where, you know, it's a large sum of money that I'm signing off as the, the like, um, owner of this, um, what did we used to call it? Panel, panel of coaches. Um, I'm signing off that, yes, it is worth spending $10,000 on these coaching sessions for this individual. So I think that it's just really important that we're making that really clear. It's probably different lenses if you're you know, an internal coach working Mm. and you're employed by an organisation versus if you're coming in and consulting and being paid, you know, a per assignment or per hourly kind of thing. Yeah, because there is definitely an expectation that, of organisations when they're paying for a consultancy, doesn't matter who which who the consultant is, but when they're paying those big dollars for a consultancy, they're paying for the expert expertise. They're they're paying for whoever they get to have all of the knowledge or at least have um, you know I don't know. They I, I, I see a lot of in organisations, I see them just treat those um, consultants as experts and yeah, I'll ask <laughs> right. them a question and they'll go, oh, oh, I don't know. Or they'll send a team of team of grads in with armed with a you know a PowerPoint pack or something, and it's 
Um, it, it's always a it's always a tricky one, especially if you're an external coach. Like I've been an external coach in those situations, and um, you, it's like, like now that I think back on that from an ethical pers- per, um, perspective, maybe I should have um, you know approached that differently. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's interesting how this code is m- making me question a lot of things that I've done in the past. And that's kind of the the point, right? Like it's it's yeah. not uh, it's not a kind of we've been doing things wrong, naughty naughty. It's about like hmm, let's think about how we do things in the future and try to improve the practice of the um, the profession and and also give a level of comfort to the people that are hiring us that mm. you know we are yeah um, open and transparent and this is something well, that I... we believe in. Yeah. Oh, well, I know. Also, you two spark a really awesome idea. Between the two of you, I was thinking, wow, listening to Renee and Sarah, like, you should run this code as like a retro and like an agile coach team. Or maybe you use it as a self-assessment tool. You review it. I mean, you two are basically thinking about that stuff Mm -hmm. right now. Make it explicit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um. Hmm, interesting. All right. So the last dot point there is I will be open with the client if I believe they need another form of professional help. Mm, mm, yeah. We had so many conversations about this one, didn't we, Alex? Um, and it was really hard. It is not a clear line at all. Um, and again, it comes with that lens of, you know, you've built trust with this person uh, or this team. Um, and you know, to to then sort of break that trust or potentially like suggest that they should have to re-engage and start that process again with somebody else is really hard. I think pretty much everyone that we spoke to had an example of where they'd potentially gone. Definitely were in the grey area on this. Yeah, I mean, this was basically Alex. about the, the mental health thing, right, Sarah? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but we did keep it specifically open-ended. So, um, you know, potentially we're not talking mental health here. It could be that we're talking about, you know, that they need a, um, I don't know, different form of lean or they, I don't know, anything. Um, but I think that a lot of the, the conversation centred around mental health um, and just being really really honest with ourselves about whether or not we we were comfortable with um the i guess the potential impacts of that and and um and we looked at some doctors or the the code of practice for doctors as well and um i can't remember the exact wording but it's something like um do no harm i think is the the phrase that they use so it's it's, you know, you have to make a decision. Potentially, you won't necessarily fix the problem, but will you actually make it worse is is what you need to be careful about. Mm. Um, I think people have that, you know, the way the, there's um, things that you think about when you're doing or if you're presented with a situation where you need to do CPR, like once you've engaged, you have to kind of, you know, you're focusing on not doing any harm. You can't stop um, once you've started. Um, which is a little bit different, but I guess the the lens of it was really about kind of not necessarily like the one conversation that you have or the one piece of advice potentially or the one question that you ask the person, but more about the long-term impact that you might have on someone if they're not seeking 
or not getting the professional help that they need because they think they're getting it through you. I remember mm-hmm. these conversations more distinctly, Sarah, some of these, because I, I wouldn't consider myself an expert in psychology or psych, uh, psychiatric medicine or anything like that. Although I think all agile coaches are probably pretty good at connecting with humans and all that kind of stuff. But in the group, we actually had people with like PhDs in, in psychiatry and psychology who are also agile coaches. And I remember listening to them and their standards, They were what they were bringing to the table. And I was like, oh, thank goodness they're here because they're actually helping us make and craft the code to be clear and more relevant and applicable in a variety of different situations. Because I think these situations are pretty sticky, like what you were talking about, Sarah. Um, And to this day, I mean, if you go to an ICF training or something like that, this is pretty much de facto standard as well, right? And that's why when Sarah was, you were talking about like the AMA, we went out and surveyed like a ton of different codes of conduct from the ICF to doctors we looked at like accountant codes and I don't even remember all the different things we looked at. Right. So we were Lawyers. trying to take all this into account. Um, but you're right, Sarah, we kind of left it open and not just about the mental health stuff because we were like, okay, well this could in theory apply to anything really. Right. Like why would you present yourself as like a less expert if you didn't know anything about less? Right. Just be open about it. Do you have any advice for Agile coaches out there, just touching on the mental health thing, um, any advice for Agile coaches who find themselves in a conversation where they're kind of broaching this subject or they're in that subject and what how they should handle that oh, conversation? Well, okay. For sure, 100% for sure, Every coaching relationship you establish, you should create a coaching agreement or coaching alliance or coaching contract. You know, there's so many different names for it, but for sure, in the very beginning of your relationship, for every single coaching relationship, you should establish basically the boundaries or the the contract around this specific topic. Never neglect this one. You know, hey... I'm not a trained psychiatrist or psychologist. A few of us are, but I'm not, for example. So that's what I say. So if I feel like we're entering territory where it's about mental health, I want you to be aware that I'm not that type of person. And we're going to both have to be aware together because we're in it together. And maybe we should, you know, bring it up right then and there. In other words, by getting the agreement and setting the boundaries at the start, I'm trying to make us both aware enough so that when it eventually happens, we're well, we're like both awake enough to figure out, hey, this is what's going on. And so then we can deal with it in an appropriate manner. If you don't have that coaching agreement, you haven't set the boundaries and you're not aware, you could really stumble. and. Yeah. And I think um, just to have a conversation with another coach about it, you don't need to go into the explicit details of what's what's happening, but just you know, like seek, seek a mentor and, and talk to someone and just, you know, try to kind of figure out where that line is and, and if you've gone over it, but 
you know, it's hard to make these calls. And that's mm. partly why we have tried to pull together the code, but it's not going to help, you know, it's not going to be explicit in every single situation. So find someone to talk to and just, you know, make sure that you're getting some support yourself because it, it can be a really hard situation to be in if you feel like someone's dependent on you or, you know, that they might make a, a bad decision if you withdraw your support um, or if you suggest that they go and speak to someone else. Um, you know, it's not it's not easy for anyone. But I think exactly as Alex said, like being really upfront and explicit about it at the beginning should hopefully make it an easier so. conversation to have if it does come up. Mm. Yeah, and at, at least at the very least, it'll give you a reference point back to hey, remember when we did? Yeah. we spoke about this when we and when we set up our agreement. I feel like we're broaching, we, we're touching on that now. Do you agree or not? And this is what we decided we would do. Yeah, when that when this situation arose. So are we going to go down? We're going to do that, or you know? Um, yeah. And if Is you haven't done it, if you haven't been explicit about it at the beginning, that's not a reason to kind of dig your head in the sand and keep going down that path. I think mm. this is where something like the code can come in handy and you can pull it out and say, hey, look, you know, we didn't talk about this at the beginning. We probably should have. But this is one of the things that I've agreed to as a as a coach is that I will, you know, I will act within my ability um, and I don't think that I'm within my ability here. So, I, you know, I just want to have that conversation with you now. Passing advice. Mm. Um, are there any, I think we can wrap things up um, here. Are there any parting words of advice that you want to share with our listeners? You want me to go first? Oh, yeah, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, you go first, Alex. Um, <laughs> now that it's been around for a while, I mean, when did we create it, Sarah? The scenarios and the code was a couple of years ago now, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like we were like deep in COVID time. Yeah, so the before times. Two. Well, you know, it was during the okay. between the two the two <laughs> eras. And anyway, yeah, uh, I can look back <laughs> on it now, and I've actually used it myself, which for me is an incredible testament to the fact that it actually was worth my own personal time and everybody else's time and hopefully it's worth other people's time as well. The fact that I used it myself to help me figure out stuff is like amazing. Um, the other thing I would say is it's hard and, and ethics, the reason humans have struggled with ethics for like, I don't know, tens of thousands of years is because it's not an easy topic and I don't think there's ever a perfect, perfect yes or no or black or white. I mean, I think it's very grayish and that's why we created the scenarios document. Cause after we created the code, we were like, Oh my goodness. Now we've got to give examples because even we need examples to refer to when we read this thing. So I don't, I would encourage everybody to not only read the code, but read all the stories. And those are all true stories in there, by the way. Uh, read all the stories in the scenarios and that really adds some nice flavor and texture to it to help you out. Yes, absolutely. Okay, I've thought about my point now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I My advice would be 
to always just be really clear about your reasons when you're thinking through an ethical dilemma. Um, I actually teach ethics to primary school students, which is kind of how I got involved in this a little bit as well. Um, and in those lessons, we really, it's not about this is the right answer or the wrong answer. It is really about listening, being able to put forward your reasons, the reasons why you're making certain decisions and uh, listen to other people's reasons and potentially adapt your thinking to those reasons and just make what we call very uh, blandly, a good decision. Um, so having thought through that decision and laid out your reasons and then making a decision off the basis of those reasons. Um, so I just really encourage people to be um, really open and explicit about what their reasons are if they're entering any kind of ethical dilemma. Um, talk through those reasons with other people and you know, potentially adapt your reasons as you're getting guidance from other people. The reason that we created the code was, I guess, to kind of shortcut that process. So you don't necessarily have to go talk to other people because you've got the experience of, what did we say, like close to 40 people from all walks of life having put this code together. Um, so perhaps that can help you with that process without you know, it taking a really long time or without it, um, you know, being too much of a blocker for you. Um, so, yeah, just using using your logical thinking to think through the reasons uh, will help you in your ethical dilemmas. And my other piece of advice, or I guess my ask to the listeners would be, if you get benefit from having listened to this podcast or having read the uh, Code of Conduct to share that with other coaches that you're working with and just try to kind of um, spread the message, spread the love. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sarah and Alex, for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. It was Renee. a pleasure. No worries. It's a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. It is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit and scrum.org. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a co-worker about the podcast. Please go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiative and find more inspiring podcast conversations.